turkeys, what's going on? And welcome back to another episode of New and Improved, the elections episode 2019. Dun, dun, dun. How you guys doing? Doing okay? Having a good time? Have a good week? Were you like me? Did you catch Night Train, the Guns and Roses tribute band at Buds on Broadway last night? No. Maybe you did. Uh, it was a busy show, and man, the one thing about Night Train and Buds is that it did feel like the internet did not exist for one night, and I can't tell you how refreshing that is to be in a spot where everybody is just who they are, not trying. Instagram didn't exist, obviously, that night. It felt like everybody put their phones in some sort of bucket when they walked in because nobody was on their phones. Everybody was just enjoying it, and man, Night Train put on a show. I'll tell you, I've seen Guns N' Roses a few times, and um, if they decided to retire or die, I decided to die, if they just die, I, you could put Night Train up there, and I bet you you could fool 95% of the fan base. They were that spot on. Uh, they have these wigs, so they look like the band, and the lead singer, not no idea who he is, but uh, that guy is, that. I don't know how he's doing it two nights in a row. That's all I gotta say. So, anyways, Night Train, they are pretty, pretty good. Anyways, uh, as I said, this is the election episode, and uh, how many people are like me, where you know the election's coming, you hear the voices, you hear the ads, you hear the discussions, but yet you feel like you still can't understand why people are so polarized about this election. And any election, especially in the last 15 years, it feels... But then it makes me a little worried that I'm maybe not caring enough. So then if you're like me, you do a little research and then it gets even more confusing. Because then you're wondering what sources can I trust? What side should I be on? Like I really have no idea what we should be spending like, for example, like on the military. I took a little poll and they asked me that question, how much do we spend on the military? I don't know. Do you know? How what are we spending now? Who knows this? Like, I have no idea if we should be supporting the Kurds, like the, in Syria and Turkey, not the uh, cheese curds, but we, we should always be supporting the cheese curds. But, um, or do we support Hong Kong or do you stay silent on China? I don't know. But man, is it ever complicated? I don't even want to talk about climate change either. Does everybody have time to read the entire carbon tax policy? I haven't. I bet you it put me to sleep. Like, how much information do I need to make a decision? Anyways, if you silently held these thoughts just like me, this is probably the podcast for you. Maybe you should take a nice little walk, put some headphones on, enjoy what's left of the nice weather, and drink it in. Because on this podcast, I have none other than none other than Alex McPherson of the Star Phoenix, a graduate of the Poli Sci program here at the U of S. Alex is now the staff expert on anything politics. I got to fact check that. I don't know. He might not be. He might be just one of many, I'm assuming. And he came on to answer some of my burning questions and put my political anxiety at ease. So with that, maybe you guys should just sit back, relax, and oh, and don't forget to go vote and enjoy my interview with Mr. Alex McPherson. Good. It's like the, I, the feel guil- I feel guilty because there's sugar in it. Oh yeah. yeah so get to that. It's age. over. So <laughs> Alex McPherson, like we just found out we're neighbors. 
We did. Yeah. yeah. Did you, when I t- told you the address, you must have known that I was kind of around the corner. Or did you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I looked it up and I, I sort of counted the blocks. Okay. Not far. That's good. Well, you are, what's your actual title with the Star Phoenix? Reporter. And how long you, you're just straight up reporter. Straight up reporter. Your name seems to pop up more than the average person. Do you do just that many more stories than the average reporter? I don't know if I do that many more. I I hope I, I guess that's a good thing. I like that my name pops up and the stories are hopefully making a difference. Mm-hmm. And so that's the Post Media that owns. Yeah, so Post Media owns uh, the Star Phoenix and the Regina Leader Post. Right, so. As, as well as, you know, multiple other papers across the country. And how many reporters are working right now for the Star Phoenix? I don't know. There's about eight or, you know, 10 in the newsroom. Okay. Is that was it ever like thirty at one point? I uh, it has been in the past, yeah. yeah. Um, you know the it's no secret that there's been contractions across the news business, but mm-hmm. uh, but you guys are still going hard, still going hard, and I I think we're doing really really good work. I'm so fortunate to work with uh, a bunch of talented people, and I think we put out a really good paper every day. So when you're writing a story, do you do you think of like the online audience more than you do like the the kind of print audience? There's an aspect of that, but it mostly comes after the fact. When I'm writing a story, I'm thinking... Content. What's newsworthy? What hasn't been reported before? What's important context that's going to help the reader understand? Sort of really basic news writing questions. Uh, the, the presentation comes after the fact. You know, when you're putting a story on the website, you've got all this space, right? Essentially unlimited space. You can put in videos. You can embed you know, a pile of photos. Uh, one, one thing I love about working at the newspaper is we have these amazing photographers who will take the most beautiful images that really accentuate and dress up and, and, and help, uh, help every story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're doing things online, I mean, sort of the, the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. And you always think about that after the fact. But when I'm writing a story, it's, you know, you got to write the lead. What's the news? Right. And so you said you were a poli-sci guy in university. That's what I did, yeah. And did you have dreams of being a reporter growing up? My parents both worked at the newspaper when I was growing up. My dad was there for 37 years. Was he a reporter? He was a columnist. I started as a reporter, but very quickly became a That's probably why. What's your dad's name? Les McPherson. Okay, that's why. I think I just got, you just carried on the McPherson legacy. (laughs) So you're you're just kind of... Building off of your dad's legacy, I guess. I, I hope. I hope not. I mean, no way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's probably what I was getting confused with. Maybe, yeah. Is that McPherson was there, and Les McPherson, of course, is like the the one the long time. Did he retire? Yeah, two and a half years ago. We 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 overlapped for a, a couple of years at the paper. That's fun. It was fun. Yeah, I really liked working with him. Okay. No, hey, you you're starting to build your own name, and it's got a little head start, but that's good. Yeah, it's uh, it's. It's been a really good time at the paper. I still pinch myself every morning that I get to go to work there. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, interviewing Victoria and Alicia, it sounds like a, it's a pretty fun job. Like, just, the, it's not your day-to-day grind. You're, everything, every day is different. Every day is different. And it's certainly not the only job where that's the case. Mm-hmm. For me, I like that I'm constantly learning things. I think I'm a really curious person, and... Every day you come in and you might have an idea of what you're going to do. Sometimes that happens and sometimes it just goes out the window, but you inevitably learn something. And then I also really like uncovering information that people ought to know about, whether that's a story about, you know, some sort of uh, 
political thing that happened or whether it's about somebody who has found, you know, encountered some problem out there in the world. It, it, it really covers everything. But to, I, I love that feeling of like finding a story that, that the world needs to know and then, and then finding a way to tell it. So is your, a dream of a, or a goal of a reporter to find that one thing that you kind of crack the case on? and introduce the world to like some scandal or some new thing. Like we were just talking about, you know, Jordan here, you know, is there, is that like typically things that you're looking for rather than just reporting a car accident? You know, I think every reporter always wants to have a big scoop and then another big scoop and then a bigger one. It's, that's part of the reason we do this job, but you know, a lot of the stories that are really important aren't, you know, don't sort of have the the glamour of, you know, a massive investigation, but they're really important. And it could be a, a story about, you know, uh, uh, how waste is collected and how city taxpayers pay for that waste to be collected. You know, that, that stuff is really important to everybody who, who lives in this city and getting it out there so people understand what, I guess in this case, the municipal government is doing is, is important. Mm-hmm. So I... I th- and I also have a soft spot for sort of like incremental stories where you find out one thing, you keep digging around and then you find out another thing and you do another story. And as you go, almost this big picture starts to develop. But but are you ever looking for that spotlight or what do they call it? You know, when it's you're just basically blowing the, the cover off one giant issue such as like spotlight or some sort of like there's a million or there's a yeah, lot yeah. of uh movies about just journalists uh, uncovering the truth of some sort. And, you know, if, if that if that happened to me one day, I would be grateful. Have you had one under your belt recently? Or I don't think I've had anything that's, you know, you know, not like taken down a president or something like that. But I think I've done stories that have made a few people's lives better. And I'd like to think I've done stories that have made a lot of people's lives better. Yeah, that's awesome. It's altruistic. It's, uh, it's, it's very very satisfying when you can put information out in the public and and it it makes people's lives better it's i mean it's hard to describe the feeling yeah no you sound like the guy who should be doing it though well that's kind of you (laughs) but more importantly here because i uh i wanted to have a very kind of focused talk on the election because i think the election's coming up if i know right that's maybe in 11 days or something yeah, days. it's two weeks, essentially. Two, two weeks. weeks from today. So, the most important question. Two weeks from today, we will now know the results. Yeah, and we will, because it's going to be, yeah, Tuesday. And I think 8 p.m., we get the results. Yeah. Or the first results. So, yeah, the most important question I need to ask you is, like, who should I vote for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I don't think I can, I don't think I can tell you that, um, but I can. When somebody asks you that. How do you answer that, you know, and tell them how they should vote? I think the first thing you have to ask is, and I, you know, we may want to talk about this too, but I'm sort of unusual in that I don't vote in elections that I cover because I want to have that sort of clean conscience. I just, it's, it's easier do to people criticize you for that. You think some, some criticize me, which I, I think it's perfectly fair for reporters to vote. I know some that do. I also know others who is don't. It normal in the industry for people? I, I would say you'd get all, all people of all different people opinions. People care, but they just try to remove themselves from the equation? For me, it's just easier to not get involved. 
So you go in knowing that you're not going to vote. Absolutely. And does that make it easier to cover? And that's exactly what I mean. It makes it easier to cover. And and there's also, it, it just eliminates the chance of somebody, and I, I've never even heard of this happening, but saying, you know, I, I didn't like that story because you voted, you know, you voted for X, so you're biased. And right. I can say, well, no, I didn't vote for anybody. But you'd still have an affiliation that you kind of keep close to your heart, probably. Like, of course I have opinions about yeah. stuff. Um, I'm a human being, and I, I spend a great deal of my time knowing the facts thinking, more than the average person thinking about this. Yeah. And trying to communicate those facts, just, you know, synthesize them and also get rid of the spin. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, every political party is trying to, to, to spin. Oh yeah. And our job is to sift through that and find out what's news, what matters and then why it matters. So yeah, of course, of course I have opinions. I'm not going to share them, but and as do I try to keep them close as well, being in the position I'm in, I'm always trying to make sure I'm not like overindulging on one side or the other. Yeah. And the important thing for me is that I'm able to divorce those opinions from what I do. I'm able to look at the stuff objectively and say, you know, this, facts. these are facts and this is what matters and this is why it matters. Right. So I've like hesitated to do so. I've wanted to do kind of a political talk about it because the original, I said, the original name of this podcast was supposed to be the average podcast, which is already taken. And it was because I consider myself a very average person, like when it comes to anything from sports to like knowledge to intelligence. And I do feel like I relate a lot with people because I feel like everybody somewhat feels like they're average in the sense, especially when it comes to like you're going to a dinner party and people are just wailing on the topic of politics, like, on either side, getting really passionate. And sometimes I sit back and go, I'm a smart guy, but I don't have nearly the passionate opinion. And it's because I probably don't know enough about it. And I I just, because I'm not reading enough about it, I'm making a lot of assumptions. And so I was kind of insecure to try to have a, a, like a highbrow political discussion because I, even like sometimes when I listen to CBC, they're talking at maybe their two, 300 level for me sometimes when mm-hmm. I don't even know what like the, the rules are for bill, whatever. And I don't even know what they're telling me and if I should have an opinion about it. And sometimes I feel bad that I don't. So, I don't think you should feel bad. I, I think the situation you described is, is not uncommon. And you know, there's, there's all kinds of levels of, of political engagement. I guess you could say, you know, there's there's people who are just into it, and that's what they get up in the morning and read about and think about. They're following, you know, what happens in city council, in the provincial legislature, in parliament. Mm-hmm. They they know all the details, and then you've got everybody from you know all the way right down to people who might be a first time voter and they've never really paid attention to it. Their parents you know weren't into politics, so they didn't grow up around it, and they're suddenly faced with this situation of. You know, they, they don't know almost nothing about it. And then, you know, it sounds like you're in the middle. But I the, the, I think the thing that pisses me off the most is that I feel I do listen. Like, I'm always tuned into the radio to news. Like, that's all I'm listening to. And for some reason, I'm still kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. And then when I hear people who I know actually don't know as much as I do have very strong opinions, that's what kind of upsets me to go, wow, like, I can't get over that I'm that unopinionated compared to these people who have very little knowledge. And then I go, what's fueling that? And so I think what I wanted to do today was to talk like at a very basic level that is almost crawling to kind of talk about like fundamental philosophical differences between the parties Mm -hmm. from a fact base from somebody who does this every day. 
because just talking to, I bet you if you went out and did a little like segment, like interviewing people about where do they like put these logos on where you think they sit on the political spectrum, I think you'd like, you'd get 80% of them wrong. Like the people would get them wrong. Like they'd probably get the liberals and conservatives on a left and a right, but like how far that would be from a, you know, the PPC to the, you know, Green Party to the NDP, I think you'd get pretty tangled. And, and really like the political spectrum is, is a pretty rudimentary that was close. Yeah, that was a good catch. No, that was like very smooth. Uh, it's it's a pretty rudimentary tool for talking about these things. I mean, you can say left wing and right wing, but every political party that's operating at a serious level is going to have, you know, a, a huge range of, of policies and ideas. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, these are diverse groups of people, right? They're, and they're going to be, you know, they're, as a result of that, it's sort of hard to just draw a line and say, you know, here's where Party X is, here's where the liberals are, here's where the conservatives are, whatever it is. Okay. It's, I, think it's, I think it's a pretty rudimentary well, tool. It, but there are, you know, it, like it's informed by, you know, long-standing political ideas. So if you were going to just compare them on like a fundamental philosophical difference, how would you kind of describe all of them? Just so the people who are, and again, I was going to call this episode like things you're, always wanted to know but too stupid to ask too afraid to ask mm-hmm. and so really like if you're going to start looking at all the parties that you know especially the ones that were invited to the debate last night like what is it five or six 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 yeah like where would you how would you describe each one well it's that's not as easy as, as you might ask <laughs> you know to try and place them on this line because at least two of the parties that were at the debate last night are sort of you know, overwhelmingly dominated by a single issue. Um, the Green Party. They are a party where environmental protection is sort of the thing. Obviously, they have ideas across the board. I mean, Elizabeth May has been talking about pharmacare and, uh, and, and dental care and, and these sorts of things. But, like, you know, during that debate last night, she was talking a lot about how the other parties just don't have a hope or in, in her view when it comes to addressing climate change. I mean, that's the issue. Mm-hmm. The other one is the Bloc Québécois, which is a regional party and they're fundamentally a separatist party. They want to take Quebec yeah. uh, out of Canada. That, that was the reason that it came into being. Mm-hmm. So you've got the two sort of. So, but would the Green Party stand on the side of keeping Quebec part of Canada? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All the other parties are federalist parties. They yeah. they they would not want to see Canada divided. Okay. Um, and then you've got the sort of I guess you'd call them the big three, the conservatives, the liberals, and the Democrats. And they're sort of like big tent parties, um, in that you know they want to try and get as many people from as many different backgrounds as possible. I think the big difference is, you know, how much they believe government, how much of a role they believe government ought to have in your life. Conservatives would say, you know, we want a smaller government, want to let people, you know, make their own decisions as much as possible. Put the money in the businesses' hands to simulate and and, and low taxes, let the free market dictate things. And again, you know, I'm not quoting from party platforms here. I'm I'm summarizing at a pretty high level. But that's also the summarized view of just left and right wing. For sure, for right. sure. And then, you know, the new Democrats, you know, their their platform in this election is really expensive, you know, because they want to bring in pharmacare, they want to bring in dental care and uh, Jagmeet Singh has been very clear. He said, you know, I want to make life better, not for the wealthy people, but for just people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something where 
they would have to pay for it because it's expensive. And the liberals, you know, are, are, are they're the, the closest thing we have to a centrist party. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're, you know, they'd be a, a middle ground between those two generally. Which is funny because when they talk about somebody being a liberal, like, you know, not even uh, the party, but just they'd be like, oh, he's a conservative, hard right wing, and the other person's a liberal. Yeah. Um, what, was it because the history was, was there only two parties back in the day in Canada? Was it like conservatives and liberals? Oh, you're testing me here. Um, Cause I'm assuming the, the, that also the NDP came in, they're even more left or socialist. Yeah. The, the parties have changed a lot over the years. I, I have to admit my, my knowledge of this is not, not great. You promised me, but Alex. also Canada's gotten dramatically bigger. You know, in the beginning it was effectively, you know, uh, the area around, you know, Toronto and, and Montreal and mm-hmm. Ottawa. And and Canada's gotten a lot bigger. But, you know, the, the names are are linked to political philosophies, at least in liberals and conservatives. But I don't know if you can necessarily look at the conservative party or the liberal party of today and say, you know, these guys are classical liberals, these guys are classical conservatives, because times change and, and policies evolve. So, you know, you can't, like, go back to Locke and be like, there's a perfectly straight line it'd be a lot easier if it was literally a one to ten <laughs> and you were just like we're an eight but then yeah bernier here he's like an eight and a half nine and a half yeah and, and the people's party that's the new one and i think people are still trying to figure out what they're all about i mean bernier ran for the leadership of the conservatives for lost sure. formed his own party and has taken some some views that are very dramatically different from the other parties i mean well he called sheer like a, a liberal basically he did call him a liberal and i think there's you know there's it's a point that's been made by pundits throughout this campaign that the liberals and the conservatives policy wise are very, very close together. There yeah. are differences, but they're not, you know, you I, know we're not, we're not jumping seen, across the ga- you've Grand You've probably Canyon. seen bigger differences. Like the difference between Bernie and, and Scheer might be bigger than where uh, philosophies for Trudeau and Scheer would be. I, at least in terms of the policies they put forward, I, I think you could probably make that argument. And Bernier, and you're right, Bernier and Scheer ran for the same party. The they did, yeah. party. So that is kind of interesting, right? And a lot of people don't really think about it that way, that at one point you could be further apart from somebody in your own party. It, it's true. And, you know, you find there are people in every party, I would say, who are, you know, there's no, I guess there's no one archetype, like all new Democrats think X, Y, and Z, you're going to find a diversity, even in a fairly small party, of, of who they've managed to elect. Right. And, you know, in, in, in any party, you can find that. Mm-hmm. You're going to find fiscal conservatives or more people who are more fiscally conservative in the liberals. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find people who are more, you know, it's just, you're, it's these are big parties with, uh, you know, a, a big tent philosophy. I'm surprised, like, the stuff about Bernier that happened, like, a decade ago with him hasn't really followed him around too much. When he was a cabinet minister. Yeah, when he had all his documents kind of stolen and his girlfriend at the time had like connections to the HA and they kept on just putting his picture of his girlfriend who had like this mega cleavage shot on CBC all the time. And they would just love to like paste her photo up there. I, you know, at the time, and that was well before I was covering politics day to day, but you know, he took his, took his lumps, took, took the heat then and, you know, carried on. It's probably like a past issue, but it's kind of an interesting, they're trying to say that he hangs out with some unsavory people. But, but anyways, yeah, it's interesting. He actually came to our office one time. I remember Bernie a long time ago, like just in a tour. Cause he was like, when he was, uh, running for the conservative leadership. I don't even think it was that. I think he was like some sort of 
cabinet minister and he was like in charge of something like maybe new technology or something yeah. and he came through but uh, he seemed like a decent guy then he kind of looked like a young Lloyd Bridges so <laughs> but yeah okay so if you start looking at them like even the big two right because is it kind of generally known especially even in the media that really it's kind of a two horse race right now still I mean I think that the NDP will be hard pressed to form government. Um, Cause historically we've never had a NDP prime minister. Am I right? You are correct. Yes. But the NDP formed official opposition yeah. uh, in, in 2011 after mm-hmm. the, I guess the orange wave swept through Quebec. Um, did but not, did Brian Mulroney not have an NDP opposition with, was it John Turner? I think anyways, that's, that's going back. A yeah. Long way. That's my era. <laughs> before, before, <laughs> I, get, I don't want to say know. how old I am. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so I but guess yeah, the, the NDP has been historically the third party in Canadian politics, and I think this election, it's it's perceived as a as a race, and, and certainly the polls reflect this between the the Conservatives and the Liberals. And over the last you know two and a half three weeks, nobody's been able to really move those polls mm-hmm. that much. Everybody's sort of in the in the thirties, hanging out and. Uh, but in Saskatchewan, it's kind of different, right? It's a conservative NDP race. Why are the Liberals so weak in Saskatchewan? The well, it's Saskatchewan is a conservative stronghold and mm-hmm. has been for a number of years. Um, I looked at the seat projections from three thirty eight Canada. What's, what's that? It's a it's a it's a poll aggregator that's sort of affiliated with uh, McLean's magazine, and they've been putting out you know extensive sort of collections of polls and then they've got a, a, a an electoral modeler so there's 14 seats in saskatchewan and as of today they had all but two i think leaning likely or safe for oh, the conservatives and then all but two because it's probably the ralph goodale yeah so uh <laughs> ralph goodale seat in regina wascana is one that they're you know that has it's sort of flipped back and forth as yeah. a, everything from a toss-up to you know, leaning liberal. Um, the one that we're in right now is widely expected to be a close race. Uh, Saskatoon West between Sherry Benson, the incumbent, who's a new Democrat, right. and Brad Redekop, who's the challenger and a conservative. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Northern Riding, which uh, Desnethe, Mississippi, Churchill which River. Is massive. Yeah, it's half the province. Yeah. Um, it's the biggest riding, one of the biggest ridings in the country. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very unusual compared to the other ridings even around the country in so one it's incredibly sparsely populated mm-hmm. there's sort of one city which is meadow lake and then a bunch of smaller communities some is of LaRange which included in there? oh yeah larange is in there too yeah. i'm sorry but like there's fly-in communities right and it is a it is a riding that is overwhelmingly indigenous um it's economically disadvantaged compared to every other riding in the province and it has ping-ponged back and forth uh over the years has been represented by everybody, but there's this sense that party affiliation matters less in the North. And I I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it it clearly does, but there's also this element of like regional, uh, affiliations. Um, and you know, different first nations have in the past, if you look at the results tended to like the, the sort of, Eastern portion of the riding has, has gone New Democrat a lot. The mm. the Western part. Sorry, I got that mixed up. Eastern has gone liberal. Oh, Western, Saskatchewan. Uh, of, of that riding, right? North, yeah. Yeah, and then the, the Western part has gone New Democrat, 
and because Georgina Jalabois, the incumbent, is a former mayor of Lalash, which is in the east, right? You know, stands to reason she's going to have a base there. And then the south has been has gone conservative in the past. So I'm assuming that all parties have a pretty good First Nations platform that really kind of speaks to them and uh, and tackles the issues and they have their own plan. Um, Because I think that's one of the really it's a it's a pretty important topic. Um, It's very important. Very important. And but what does what do typical like the population of the First Nations do they typically vote? I think it really depends. I mean, First Nations are incredibly diverse in the same way that any community, you know, uh, Saskatoon and Regina are different. You're going to find all all Mm -hmm. kinds of things. I mean, excuse me. There's not one that's just screaming that this is the one for us that are going to have the best policies. Because I'm assuming they all have pretty good policies. Well, in 2015, and one of the things that we saw, and again, it's, this is not exclusive or universal, but the cross Canadian indigenous vote went very hard and turned out for the liberals. Um, Trudeau campaigned on a lot of uh, significant promises to, you know, uh, improve infrastructure and, and, you know, invest in first nations communities. And then that helped, that helped him win. What, didn't what, who came out? It was a few months ago where that guy just in cabinet just basically to, told Trudeau that he doesn't care. He doesn't care about Aboriginals. Oh, is that Romeo Saganash? He's yeah. uh, you know, he, he's not a not a liberal. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he stood up in the House of Commons yeah. and, and said some I, the the phrase is unparliamentary language. It was basically uh, Kanye West's comment to George Bush of the George Bush hates black people. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I I saw it. You know it showed up on, on, I think, Twitter that day. And I was, it's not often you see something that direct in, in the yeah. House of Commons. That's so crazy. Um, do you think that there's something, like, what are some topics that all the um, parties would agree on? Well. Like, across the board. That's a really good question. Because I, my initial instinct was going to say, you could probably find all the parties would say, you know, we need to do more to reduce emissions. They're all going to have different plans as how to do that. And, and, you know, some might be more effective than others, but the people's party said, you know, we don't believe climate change is a, is a a man-made crisis. The climate has been their Their view is that the climate has been changing uh, for 150 million years. And, and that puts them outside. So, but um, everybody from sheer left is going to kind of agree that it is. There are no deniers on that level. You might find people who are in in many parties who are, are skeptical, but you know, as far as the platform goes, everybody but the People's Party says, "Yeah, we need to do more uh, about the environment." I think I think you'd also find that every every party would say, you know, we ought to do more to help Indigenous communities. Um, how they do that though, and how they propose to do that is going to be very different. But right. you know, that's one issue. Um, what about housing? Do they all agree about housing? You know, I haven't really seen a whole lot of talk on housing in this election, apart from the New Democrats who want to build 500,000 affordable housing units across the country. Mm-hmm. And and that's by far like the sort of boldest thing I've heard mm-hmm. um, and, and a, one of their signature pieces. But you'd say the hot topics right now are the, the climate, indigenous... And, uh, you know, the thing that the... Uh, both the liberals and the conservatives have really been trying to do a lot of is cost of living. Yeah. Um, 
obviously their polling shows that people are spending more, you know, not making more, but spending more. And again, they have different ways of how to address that. Mm -hmm. But that's something you can hear these lines that uh, the leaders use. Um, You know, Trudeau will has often said, you know, he sort of quote the middle class and those working hard to join it. You know, that's his pitch for the sales pitch for the the policies. And uh, and Sheer has been talking about, you know, we want to put more money back in people's pockets. Yeah, I remember those commercials. I'm trying to just trying to boil down their policy and it's not even policy, but it might be a philosoph- uh, philosophy for how, you know, each party kind of thinks. And if you might be the guy to kind of correct me if I'm wrong, is that to me, I think they're all trying to do the same thing. They want to make Canada stronger. Would I, is that like, yeah, a- I mean, I'd say, you know, it depends on how you characterize stronger, but they want to make, Canada stronger. They want to make people's lives better. Like I don't doubt that all these people genuinely want to improve the condition of living for for everyone. Right. So I I, I believe the altruism of them that they want to make Canada stronger. They do believe about the middle lower class and they they want to improve that. But when I think about left and right, you know, we're talking about philosophies, right? And to me, if you're more on the left and you look at more how socialism works, and again, I might not be the guy to talk about it, but this is my understanding, is that they want to tax the rich, spread the wealth, so everybody from the middle class can be higher up. On the right side, on the capitalistic side, it's more, we want free market enterprise. We want less government interference. We want to give some breaks to big business so they can stimulate the economy with their businesses and create more jobs and create more jobs. Yeah. So to me, they're both after it. They just have a different, they're betting on different systems, right? That's essentially it. And they all have facts to prove each one doesn't work. How can you sit on one side and just hate the other side so much when it's just basically you're betting to me, if you take away any of this personal stuff, it's, yeah, they're just going at it. They're hopefully going to get to the same end. They're just taking a different route. They might not get there just like we might not get there. I think, you know, how people feel about that stuff is is so complicated. It's going to depend on where you are in life. Like if you're a billionaire, of course you're going to want somebody who's going to tax you the least. Probably. My thought of that is that <laughs> if I'm a, if I'm now just a regular guy and I'm going to be a billionaire and I walk into something that's a really high bracket, I'm still going to be stoked that I'm yeah, well, a you're billionaire. Not gonna, you know, but you're... if I'm a billionaire, and I said it's always so hard to take away something that people are used to. So if you're a billionaire that's getting taxed at a certain rate and then you get taxed more, then I'd be yeah, pissed. 100%. It's hard to take away things that people already have. But, you know, at the same time, if you were, you know, doing all right, but like struggling to pay for... You know, you know, struggling, struggling to pay for your, you know, for prescription drugs or, or dentistry, you might very reasonably think, um, let's tax some people who have a pile of money and use some of that money to, to pay for me and, you know, everybody else who is struggling to afford this stuff. Like, so where you, where you fall is going to, you know, it's going to come down to where you are in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and certainly with what we've seen in this campaign, we're seeing parties like betting on where people are at right now. That's why like affordability and even, you know, the new Democrats saying 
we want pharmacare, we want dental care. That's an that's an affordability argument as well, too, mm-hmm. right? Because they're saying a lot of people can't afford this, There's, and so let let's give it to them. Mm-hmm. So it, but I don't think that's the only factor because you're going to find lots of billionaires who say, you know, we should pay a lot of our money because we For sure. we have this pile of money. It should be put to some use, and you're going to find people who you know, might be struggling to afford things who, who say, you know, I don't want higher taxes when I advance in life and make more money. Mm-hmm. So you're going to find this huge diversity of people. And I think it's... That's why it's a complicated question to answer. It's, it's really complicated. But, you know, and then on top of that, people vote for all different kinds of reasons too. Like we're, we're sort of talking about one kind of voter, which is like the policy voter. You know, you're going to look at all the parties and say, you know, this party ticks the most box boxes for me of what I'm interested in. I'm going to vote for them. But that's not the only way people vote. Some people might vote for a specific candidate. And you say, well, you know, a, a good example would be if you lived in a constituency and you got into some jam and you needed, you got stuck dealing with the federal government on something. You went to your MP's office, the MP helped you out. Uh, and you might think, gee, you know, that person did a really good job for me. They listened. They cared. I'm going to vote for that person again, even if they represent a party that I don't like. Yeah. Because you'd know or you'd have a sense that they would do a good job representing you in Ottawa. That's just uh, just as legitimate, in my mind, a, a yeah. way to vote. And then I guess the third batch, you, you know, you sort of have strategic voters. Yeah. Where, so let's talk about that. What does strategic voting mean? Yeah. So strategic voting is essentially voting in a way that will hopefully lead to a uh, an outcome that isn't the it's, it's basically to stop somebody from getting in yeah so if you have a traditional situation which you'd see in lots of different places where you might have two parties that are on one side of the sort of left right thing and one on the other side the danger is always that like the left vote or the right vote will be split and the guy you don't want will sneak up the middle. So, you know, you might hold your nose and vote for somebody you don't actually like all that much just to try and prevent that, that you know, uh, yeah. run up the middle. Or to, to try and avoid a split vote. For sure. It's the uh, 34, 34, 32, you yeah. know, like where it's split that close and then essentially you could have won in a landslide. So it's strategic voting is just to avoid the split vote. Ex- yeah, yeah, and, you know, I, I think lots of people who vote strategically might not say it. Right. Because it, it sounds sort of... But they're trying to put that new... Th- potentially, there's a lot of people who want to basically say that we have a new system. I forget what it's called. It's like some sort of reform that they want to have. So then you vote for who you vote for, and then that person gets that much... Yeah, and they're, they're electoral percent. reform, and yeah. which the liberals promised to do in 2015 and then backed away from. But the, yeah. the basic idea is that in a first-past-the-post system... You pass know, the post. First, first pass the post is what pass it's called. Post. So if you got you know you me and another guy running, and I get like forty percent of the vote, and you get thirty, and the other guy gets thirty, the argument there is that sixty percent of those votes don't count because I got forty and I'm in, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and that's how it is now. The, yeah, that's how it is now. And you know you can, people will argue too. I mean the person who gets the most votes should win. Like, that's a, a reasonable way to do it. And, you know, there, there's all kinds of arguments about this, but there are other systems in play where, and they're used in countries around the world, uh, where it's essentially ways to try and, and make sure every vote counts. So I guess at the simplest level, 
you know, if, if your party gets 30% of the vote nationally, mm-hmm. you get 30% of the seats. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a bunch of like extremely complicated ways to do that. And there's another way that I think that happens when you're, I know that the, in order for, for Scott Moe to get in, it's basically like a, a tiered system. So it's, you know, you have a bunch of candidates going ahead and then the top few move on. And then well, that was, that was a different thing. That was what a, do you call that system. It's like a final a four ranked bracket. ballot. That was ballot. so, but that was, and I should point out that wasn't an election. That was like the leadership it, it, convention. Yeah, so it's you're a member, you're pay, you're a member to the SAS party. Yeah, that those are the only people that get to vote. Yes, but I'm just but saying, could they ever do that? It, it's a ranked ballot. So the way that works is you put your first choice first, your second choice second, out all the way down to six. Yeah, and you don't have to fill out all six names, but then after they count the first round of votes. Whoever got the most, you count the first place votes, and then the bottom candidate is dropped, and then they're they're set all, all those ballots. The second, third, fourth, and fifth, are like second place votes are redistributed. Yeah. Count again, drop the next. So every guy. round, it's just you just got to survive the round because somebody gets chopped off or relegated, and then finally you get and everybody's still voting yeah. at this point, so you're still kind of and it's okay. all one ballot though, so you don't go back numerous times. Oh, yeah, so don't. it's all it's all one ballot in in this particular instance. Okay, but what in that kind of system, it's it's probably beneficial to be a candidate who is well liked by everybody because then you're everybody's second place choice, and those votes pile up on on the second ballot, like. Right. Um, and I'd have to go back and double check the numbers, but Scott Moe wasn't in the lead yeah, until right like at the Atlanta end. Cook, and he, but he just kept building momentum. And he's the Green Bay Packers man. He's everybody's <laughs> second favorite team. I don't even have a second favorite NFL team or a favorite. I I don't really know anything. <laughs> but about that's the NFL. truly what it is. Is that is that like, is that the second the, the Green place Bay team? Packers is known as like everybody's second favorite team is the Green Bay Packers. You have your team, but you'll always like watch a Packer game. That's Interesting. Kind of, that's I, did, of, I didn't know that. And they're kind of the riders. of of the NFL or the riders are the well small market though right like small market very similar kind of stories right except and they wear cheese on their heads I knew that instead of watermelons, watermelons. yeah, yeah. So what do you prefer the cheese or the watermelon you know if I was going to pick I'd probably do the cheese just because I'm a huge NFL fan and uh, but I also like the rider the, the watermelon's kind of an interesting thing and it probably makes more sense to actually get a watermelon from a grocery store that that's big for only like 12 bucks versus like a block of cheese. If you had to really make that would probably be like $150 block of cheese. That would be a cheese. Like when you're looking at buying a wheel of cheese or even like a yeah. quarter of and it, it's and expensive. hollowing out for your head. You wouldn't spend would that much money for also be a catastrophic waste of cheese. Yeah, for sure. But I want to know where the watermelon thing came from. That's a good question. Cause it's the, you know, they're not the Saskatchewan watermelons and Saskatchewan is not exactly known like, as a hotbed green? of watermelon production. Wouldn't it be awesome to kind of track down? That'd be a good podcast is like to track down the guys who started like these kind of phenomenons. There had been one guy who just said, I'm just going to hollow this out. Presumably somebody showed up at a game one time with a watermelon, watermelon on their head. And then it got on the Jumbotron. And, you know, his buddies thought it was funny. And the next game, I, I assume it, has it happened like that. Like, unless they saw it at another game in like the New York Jets or something. But that would be pretty epic to find that guy. I, I You should find him. I pitched to the Rough Riders, casually to anybody who works in the organization, if they're listening, that they should write a coffee table book. Because you've been in Saskatoon your whole life. I have, yeah. That uh, You remember there's a time in the 
eighties and nineties that nobody cared about the riders. Like it was just they were, we were such a dog shit team for so long. It was like nine teams in the league. I remember right? going to rider games with my grandparents in the nineties when like the Shreveport Pirates were just punishing the riders <laughs> yeah. and nobody was interested. My my dad has this hilarious story about going to a game, and this would have been probably before I was born. But the riders were down at one end of the stadium getting just beaten up on. And this cardboard box blows onto the field and the wind like pushes it along. And by the time it had gone down the whole length of the field, the whole stadium was watching it. When it crossed the goal line, people erupted. <laughs> and I have no idea actually if that's true or not, but it's a story he's well, told they, me about how bad the riders were. They were so bad in the 90s that it, nobody really cared. But then something happened in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. They, they, some people attribute it to this one game where it was like this crazy thunderstorm and people just stayed out in the rain and while the players were in a locker room and then they, when it came back, they came back and won it. And it turned out to be this big thing. Anyways, since then, like we've just been on this tear and like, you know, they have all these crazy stats that we'd be like 13th in the NFL if we were Jersey, you know, and oh, they sell piles of merch, all that stuff. And I thought that'd be interesting to write a coffee table book about riders marketing and just the whole like why why did it happen in this unlikely location like what did we have we became like the seattle for grunge bands it's all of a sudden there's something cool that people really liked about the riders and it just became like almost a joke that we were that bad but the fan base was so crazy kind of like the bills if you know football like the buffalo bills right now is is kind of that team where fans just get obliterated and it's like <laughs> and they have like this bills mafia and it's this crazy thing and I think the Rough Riders are kind of in that. We might be pe- petering out now. We're actually a legitimate you, you football team. You can't go team. anywhere, though, in the world without, like, seeing some dude in a rider jersey. No, for sure. Um, you know, I was walking down this street in Mexico in uh, uh, Playa del Carmen, and there's a dude from Saskatoon in a rider jersey. And you just, you, you can't go anywhere. So I, I totally hear what you're saying about <laughs> the, the marketing. But I also think, like, having a good football team is a big part of that. People don't want to... Yeah, we, you know. we turned the corner from being a bad football team, and then we ended up starting winning more. But uh, Or even having had a good football team in the recent past where people still remember it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, again, I don't follow the CFL. I feel like I'm... So you're not, a, you're not a sports beat writer? I am not a football writer. There's lots of sports that I do like. But oh, really? Yeah, I like oh. baseball, and I like... Uh, you I Jays like, fan? Uh, absolutely not. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm a Chicago Fuck I'm you. a Chicago Cubs fan. Okay, here's the that's the thing. That's my National League team. See, and I'm I'm not all that interested in the American League. Really? I um, well, you know what? The, the the designated hitter rule is dumb and bad, in my opinion. There's a see, I can't give political opinions, but I can talk about baseball and I can say that the designated hitter rule is dumb. Okay, and why bad. is the designated hitter rule so bad? Because it eliminates a whole strategic element from the game. Say you got a pitcher who's dealing, you know, he's just on fire but all of a sudden you got two runners in scoring position you're behind and your pitcher's up what do you do that's a very specific scenario but it happens though. all the time i know but it like and it's like it is the archetypal but then uh, you can look on the flip side and situation. understand what the designated hitter does give you you know it gives you like an extra big bat that like you know chicks dig the long ball <laughs> right see i would rather watch like a really good defensive baseball game and like play, guys playing small ball. It was that's I, National League it, baseball. Yeah, was you. it was it Kansas a couple of years ago? They were just excelled at that. They were like bunting. Oh and yeah, stealing. they had like their, their I think their top home run guy had like fifteen or seventeen home runs. You yeah, know, it's like one of those teams. Yeah. yeah, and like even the Cubs didn't hit a lot of deep balls. Like 
Man, I, and I, the Cubs are my National League team. Sure. They should be everybody's National League team. They're an unbelievable <laughs> franchise. So that is funny that, yeah. What other sports do you watch? I, I like Formula One racing. Oh, man. I'm yeah. just getting into that one. You're just getting into it. No, that uh, documentary on Netflix. Oh, on Netflix. It's very good. That is unreal. Yeah. And it's got, it's already gotten me to like pay attention to it more. It's such a classy sport. Eh? Like, it's fun. I went, I went to a race which eh? one? in, in 2012 in Texas. Oh, Austin. Yeah. It was, it was, okay, it was, I've it seen was that the track. first. The first race in Austin. Right. And it was good. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That, uh, I think if I become that so-called billionaire, one of the things I would do is probably do that, the tour and just follow. Go to them all. Because, but man, just imagine like trying to do that now, like go to Monaco and Belgium, like those things would be so expensive during Grand Prix weekend. I guess it's impossible to get a hotel. Yeah. Impossible. In Montreal. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, Montreal is funny. Like it, I've talked to people who live there and they like make an effort to get out of town when the Grand Prix. It's like the Olympics, you know, some uh, people are just like, we're out during and we're going to Airbnb our place and basically pay for our mortgage for the year. You know what I need to do is start asking politicians what they think about the designated hitter role. Oh man, that would be better. There's how you make all of your, <laughs> all of your decisions. Do yeah. You, and uh, you know, anybody who says it's good. Psh. I have a feeling that I, I, I wish we could get the the candidates on for long form interviews, because there's a time where, you know, if you watched the debate last night, it's impossible to really know who they are. Like, what do you think of that debate last night? So I, I thought a few things. Um, it's, it's tough to have six leaders on a stage when realistically two, maybe three of them have a chance of, of forming government and th- only four of them could potentially, depending on how the vote splits, have a chance, like if you get a minority government situation, you could have a situation where like the Greens or the Bloc Québécois are, are the power brokers. But, I, you know, it's, it's hard to have six people talking, over, talking over each other and trying to land like the the knockout punch, the one-liner that the that's going to get picked up by the news, that's going to be viral on Twitter, that's going to go on Facebook. I don't think that a debate like that is going to change anybody's mind. Mm-hmm. But they yeah. love the the media love it. It's really important. I think that it's important to get a sense of who these people are and like and where they stand the on issues. But it. I watched afterwards the the scrums with reporters, which were, you know, in many ways at least to me, uh more enlightening because the politicians were pressed by reporters on specific things that they said uh, or how their policies had changed or evolved a lot of what we heard last night had to do with bill 21 in quebec which is the the secularism law mm-hmm. that prevents civil servants from wearing this c21 uh, or whatever uh yeah or bill, or, 21, bill 21 yeah uh from wearing religious symbols so a, a lot of it was focused on that it, afterwards so at least for me like i found that a lot more enlightening it's a it's kind of a political theory though a bit in the sense that it's just like it's like when uh who was it who's the last debate like Brad Wall and Cam Broton. Man, you couldn't even... It sounded like two songs playing over top of each other. They literally were just like, I'm not going to listen. We're just. I'm just going to say what I can say just so you're not getting your point out. And it felt like the same way. They were trying... I, I felt like they had control of their mics a bit almost. Yeah, I didn't necessarily see that, but f- for... It's, it's just... It's a tough format. Um, I didn't... I appreciated... And I don't know, maybe like if I even mentioned CBC, people think you're too left, but when CBC took all the leaders and they had that one-on-one. See, and I thought that was pretty interesting. So I like 
that. And I don't mind if people are going to complain that the CBC did it. Like, man, like I wish that all the networks did it who are all on different spectrums, maybe. And I did like what they just got regular people. And I forget who was I watching to and I watching. And I think this lady was just calling out saying because he wasn't answering the question and she was just like a mom. And she's like, you're just you're not answering my question. It's it's yeah. And that's one thing that we've seen a lot of is politicians getting asked a direct question and then just not answering it. And it's refreshing to see somebody who, because as a reporter, you think when a politician doesn't answer the question, you know that that's like, it's transparent to you that they're not answering the question. They're answering the question that they wish you had asked. Yeah. But it was really refreshing in those instances to see, you know, sort of a, you know, somebody who, who might not even be all that tuned into politics mm-hmm. to instantly grasp the same thing mm-hmm. that they asked a question and they didn't get an answer. And there's a sort of maybe you, you've, you've interviewed probably a lot of politicians that there's sort of this kind of tussle and tension between you and they can sort of be a little bit curt to you in a way, but they this is like a mom and he's trying to win over and he like, so Jagmeet had to be super nice to her. And so when she called him out, he couldn't just like veer off in another direction. He had to just go head on. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough balance to strike. I mean, when you're a politician and you're being interviewed or, you know, in a scrum with reporters and again, I'm, I'm not a political strategist. I'm, I, you know, you I came out, I'm a reporter. I, re- I came out, but you know, obviously they know that they're speaking to our audience. Mm-hmm. And so it's in their interest to try and get whatever message they are selling out there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, they know that if they don't answer the question too many times, we'll write that. Yeah. For you sure. know, yeah. uh, pressed repeatedly politician X you know, dodge the question. Mm-hmm. Um, one question I want to ask was that, so I'm not a teacher. I'm not a farmer, mm-hmm. not a parent, I'm not a, I'm barely a business owner. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm just like, I don't check off all these kind of like important boxes that seem to ha- should have an important, I'm not in the union or anything. So um, why should it matter to me, you know, what parties in power? Because I, you know, I said largely have, been unaffected by any sort of change. I can't remember where I've been like hurt personally. I can see the, you know, things happen differently to like immigrants potentially or whatever, different uh, marginalized people. But I just don't have much consequence personally. Well, so what do you, you mean? You're probably not in any of the, the sort of groups that historically get like targeted benefits. You know, yeah. where it's you're, you know, and I, I don't I don't know too much about your personal life, but, you know, there are people who are going to benefit from the, you know, the the child care tax cuts nope. that are going to benefit from, you know, all manner of subsidies or, or whatever it is. And you don't fit into one of the those The only groups. category I can possibly fit into, and if you know me and my friends know me, it's it's I'm a visible minority. So I do care quite a bit for anybody who's a visible minority or any minority in it in the fact whether you're lgbtq right or you know you're an immigrant and so but i'm also like a business person that understands that there's rules so like i'm just not gonna like openly vote for open borders i i would love for people to i'd love for people to be able to come to canada yeah. in a proper way but that doesn't make that kind of makes me a centrist almost you know like i don't want to close the border like like maybe. you want to you want the middle of the road 
Yeah, but then I just feel like, does that make me so boring as an individual that I don't have a strong opinion either way? I thought it was it was in one of the one of the segments that you were talking about on the CBC where where Rosemary Barton, who is you know a fabulous interviewer, yeah, she asked a question that I I hadn't heard asked in a really long time, which is, and I think she asked it of Trudeau, but like, what's in your platform for single people, for you know just and and that's sort of how she phrased it, but. It was refreshing. And, you know, another group that you don't hear, you know, you never hear politicians say, well, here's what we're going to do for all the people who have two reasonable incomes and no kids. Yeah. You know, you never hear that. It's always, you know, families and so on. They they probably research shows that we're the people who don't care. But I don't don't think that it's, you know, there are certainly things that our federal government's going to do that affect your life. The big one would be taxation. Yeah. but how much is tax? I literally don't know how much tax has changed. If I'm making what I'm making now, would I have been better off eight years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago? Or would it just been like a two or three grand swing? I don't know. That's like, and I feel like not many. But you could crunch do. those numbers. Yeah. Uh, and, an, you know, here's a, here's an example. We, we can talk about this because it's been in reported a lot is the liberals carbon tax. Oh, yeah. I think. You know, maybe it hasn't been in place in Saskatchewan long enough, but I think people are already starting to get a sense of, of how it affects them. You know, because everybody's got a tax return back, and you saw whatever benefit was on there. Yeah, and then you sort of add up, but it's it's, and then you add up like how much more things cost for you, and you you might you come to a conclusion. So, what's the facts on that? Because a lot of people are saying both. There's misleading information on both sides. So what do you say the facts are? Because what 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 are the what's the right really saying about the carbon tax? What's the left saying about the carbon tax? And what's actually the truth from your opinion? Well, the 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 basic way the carbon tax works is it's to disincentivize behavior. So you make things that use fossil fuels cost more, um, both for you know companies and individuals. And the hope is that over time that will change behavior. That's like the basic premise of this kind of of tax the liberals who brought it in maintain that that is the way to slowly change behavior uh reduce emissions while at the same time you know leaving space for a, a greener economy to spring up what we've heard conservatives say is that it's it's just a job killer it's gonna you know companies aren't gonna be able to hire new people under this because their bills are going to go up. And I, I think the truth of that is it, it sort of depends on who you are. Um, we, we've seen all, all different sort of reports. You know, I've heard, and it, this is, it's all just anecdotal, but heard, you know, farmers talking about how their fuel bills have gone way up, that sort of thing. But, you know, at least in the last 12 months, Saskatchewan added 13,000 jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, the government in Saskatchewan will say it's it's not just that simple, but uh, you know it. If you look at the big picture, if you look at the big picture, yeah. you know their their argument is 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 somewhat more nu- nuanced. But uh, that's a it's a difficult thing for even a person like me to be able to kind of pick a side on, because yeah, I want us to meet the Paris Accord standard. And I, the, I do feel the, like, in my opinion about global warming and all that stuff, it's like, what's the consequence if we do just treat the planet better? 
Like, who cares if it's man-made or not? Like, how about we just start, like, treating the planet better? I don't know, like, the numbers that this Right, is but the question is how. Right. And I, I know some people are arguing that, like, it is, you know, it's not necessarily us. There's a lot of research. And so, but then I hear, again, I'm not reading every single science report, but there's, they say it's basically, like, a thousand scientists against two. And in this whole world of, you know, uh, lobbying, you just need to plant a seed of doubt in the public's eye to be able to not get consensus, right? Right, but to, to get back your, to your question, if you if your basic premise is we need to treat the environment better and reduce emissions, the real question is what do you think is the best way to get there? Exactly. And it's there's, the a, there's a bunch of different ways to do that. What are we betting on as a technique? So I'd like yeah. to see what all the different techniques are. I'd like to see like what everybody can... And again, not everybody can agree on it. But do you imagine that... I can imagine that big business who have to report profits to shareholders are probably going to be a little bit nervous to try to accompany or like accommodate. Yeah. I mean, I think you'd, again, you'd find a, you'd find a mix. Obviously no, nobody wants their costs to go up, you know, it's just at the most basic level. You know, if you're, if, if it costs you, you know, $20 $20 to make each of the product that you're selling, you suddenly don't want it to cost $25. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, you know, there's a growing recognition that there are benefits to running a business that has a lower environmental impact. Um, and, and I think we're seeing it more and more mm-hmm. that there's an interest in this and it's, you know, appears to me to be, you know, fairly genuine mm-hmm. because I think people get the sense that that's the way things are going. For sure. And I just think I vote. I mean, I just look at that thing from a compassion standpoint, and uh, I don't. I'm not educated nearly enough to be able to form an opinion. I'm just. I want to kind of just know, like, from your standpoint, who's probably researched it. Like, what is? What are the facts? So, mm-hmm. I, again, this could we could do a full episode just on climate change in general, and even the stuff that's happening worldwide with that Greta Thunberg or whatever. Yeah. Interesting stuff. It's, it's fascinating. And yeah. I will say, you know, climate change is not something that I personally have done a whole pile of reporting on. The reporting I've done on it has been mostly like sort of political, mm-hmm. but that's, it's not an area of expertise for me. For sure. So, um, the, the last thing we want to talk about was just your take on fake news. And I, I, I think it's really interesting because it's, it comes up all the time during elections and in the next year or two, it's all. It's going to be even more uh, a hotter topic because they got the federal election, they got the provincial election, they got the the U.S. election, and it's just going to keep going. And so, obviously, working in like you know for post media and being a part of the whole engine, but just what's your take on the whole fake news? I think like, it sort of phenomenon? depends on on what you mean by fake news. I mean, we've seen politicians use the phrase fake news to try and discredit reporting from well-established mainstream news outlets that they don't happen to like. That's sort of one use of that term. You know, the New York Times publishes a story and Donald Trump calls it fake news. The other thing we've seen is just straight-up fake outlets that sort of purport to look like a real media outlet Publishing stuff that just isn't true. It isn't reported. Have you come across anything like that? Where you've seen something where you're like, this, there's no source. This is scary. Oh, yeah. It looks like a real You know, this is the kind of stuff that that circulates on social media. And it'll, you know, it'll be a link to something you've never heard of. But it sort of looks official. And, you know, if you weren't paying attention or if you weren't 
you know, especially savvy and dealing with the media, you might well think, oh, this, you know, this looks right. It, it is right. And it like reinforces something that I already thought. So that's, that's like actual fake news. Um, and we can't discount the danger of that because we've all known relatives at a certain age that have whipped out their credit cards or have called that Indian call center because they thought their computer was being spammed. And they phone that number on the screen to say, get this virus off my yeah, computer. Yeah. They're the same people who might be like susceptible to that fake news. Sure. And and then on top of that, you have this weird like gray area of the internet where you have these like, I don't even know, like, you know, trolls on social media that are just, you know, throwing rumors out there and they get picked up. And, you know, suddenly something that is just plainly false mm-hmm. can have this massive impact or even you know a, a rumor about something can go viral when that the rumor is just something that somebody made up mm-hmm. but have you seen all those things about the deep fakes where it's basically the voice and it looks like a, a video of like obama talking but it's fake and he's delivering something totally i mean it's incredibly massive. sophisticated what you know and somebody was start of it like, not all that much in a year right like you know with that computer right there and if you had the right software, presumably you could just, you know, fake a video like that. But I think increasingly, you know, you might not like a certain news outlet, but the hallmark of good reporting is, you know, like these outlets have been around for a long time. They have a reputation. They have journalists. They have fact checkers. They have editors. They have copy editors. They have this editorial process that they go through. And, you know, as somebody who spent a lot of time working at a newspaper, like you, the last thing you want to do is even even come close to printing something that isn't true, right? Mm-hmm. And they we we take it incredibly seriously, and and all these outlets do. Well, I look at and the, so I think I, what, what what just to just to finish my point, I don't mean to cut you off. No, but, go ahead. You know, if, if, I, if there's one piece of advice on there, it's like, look for reputable outlets. You might you might hate what you perceive as their editorial bias and, you know, or, or whatever. But at the very least, you know, their news reporting is going to be mostly legitimate. And then read a bunch of stuff. You know, if if in Canada, you know, if the CTV and CBC and Global and the Star Phoenix and CKOM or in Saskatoon are all reporting the same thing. They're, the stories are going to be a little different. I don't think that's bias even. It's just how a reporter chooses to... I don't see as much of a swing or spin in Canada. As yeah, much, yeah. Uh, no, I, it, in the U.S., it's, it's absurd. I think it's pretty clear that fake news is not like... It's something that people see, but I don't think it's like an election changer here. We would watch The National at our house all the time. Mm-hmm. Then... Lloyd Robertson would come on, give yeah. CTV. The top news of the day was always the same top news of the day. But now when you watch CNN or Fox, and I'm, t- I'm taking polar opposites here, they're not even reporting the same thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's an extreme example, and it doesn't really yeah. exist here. So if you look at the media and, spectrum, and I was looking at it yesterday, and it's like it goes Globe and Mail, left to right. It goes Globe and Mail, CBC, uh, Post Media, and Financial Post. Do, do you feel that sort of bias in the newsroom at all? No. Um, I think what people conflate here is in in any media outlet, you're going to have columnists, people who are giving opinions 
uh, pundits. And those people, you know, will have a diversity of views, but generally, you know, sort of coalesce. You're going to have an editorial board that's, you know, that's, that's what they do is they write the editorials, which is, you know, policy X stinks or policy Y is, is really great. And that's going to vary from outlet to outlet. But like, as far as news reporters go in, in the country, um, I, I just, I, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, well, it's good. I was like interviewing the people behind the news just to kind of see, is there any sniff of any sort of finance, I mean, push or swaying behind the scenes to like report things in a certain way. No. And that's what I thought. I, I, it's, it's told to us, you know, if you have people who are very passionate on one side, they're like, well, of course that's the CBC. Of course that's the star Phoenix. I'm like, I don't even know what that means when they say that. Knowing, knowing the people I do who work in newsrooms across this country is you're going to find a mix of people in every newsroom. There are people who are, you know, very left wing and there are people very right wing and there are people who are right up the middle of the road. And you guys are able to work in the same newsroom. Of course. Yeah. Because, you know, Part of the part of this job is just throwing all that aside and saying, you know, what's the news? Yeah. So I, I think you know newsrooms are, at least politically, pretty diverse. Yesterday I took that uh, that uh, that one poll where you just kind of popped in your kind of preferences. I forget what it was called. It was a CBC thing. Vote Compass. Vote Compass. And uh, man, my roommate and I were sitting here, and at the same time, I could. I was kind of indifferent on a few things and I kind of supported things, anything that was kind of LGBT or anything that's kind of more to do with Aboriginal I'm like, yeah, strongly agree. But there were a lot of them. I was just like, whatever. But then there's a few that I don't know who can answer this. It's like, should we spend more money on our military? I don't know what we spend on it now. I don't know what we're doing. I don't, I don't want to get shot up and I don't want to like huh. be left vulnerable to the world. But maybe we are. I have no idea. Like, how can somebody answer that properly without doing like scads of research? Yeah, and you know that's that's a totally fair point. Although it maybe tries to get at this idea that, you know, by extension, if we spend more money on the military, just to sort of take your example, we would have a greater presence and and be able to use our armed forces more to to break up conflicts or whatever it is. Like maybe that's what that question is trying to get at. Yeah. But like, do you think we should be doing more of that? But I just, I can understand somebody who just stupidly answer, of course we should or shouldn't, you know, like <laughs> yeah. something on the far left is like, of course, war sucks. But I'm like, I have no idea. What if we're like underfunded in that area? I have no, I don't know. That's the thing. So after talking to me, do you think like I'm an average voter or do you think I am like, in trouble or should do a little bit more research? I mean, I would say that I, I don't think you're in particular trouble. Um, I but. think, you know, <laughs> you, you obviously think about this stuff and, but I'm also very insecure that I don't have a strong opinion either way. And, and I would say, you know, uh, there, there's nothing wrong with reading as much as you can and watching as much as you can between baseball games. Uh, between baseball games, yeah, or during baseball games, if it's a, an American League game. Between the third and seventh <laughs> inning, I do not care. <laughs> That's when you have a nap. Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. Like once you go through once the one the, the lineup once, and I take a nap until it's like if it's close, and I'll wake up. Yeah, so. and uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would just I, I'd say to everybody, you know, these decisions matter. How how you vote, and the more research you can do. And, and the more you can learn about whether there's one specific issue that, that really interests you or, uh, you know, you're, you sort of see yourself as, you know, somebody who's going to, 
you know, wants the, the party that's going to tick the most boxes. It's, it's good to, to read about that and then, you know, and then, and then vote accordingly. But yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think people should have to feel, I, I don't like the idea of, of somebody saying, well, I only know a little bit. I, I, I just should stay home or I, I would hope that people would say, you know, I know a little bit. I want to learn more because it's a, it's an important decision. You know, I was like, got confused by people who encourage you to vote, like, like directly walk up to you and go, like, make sure you vote. Like, do you think that they have an assumption that I'm, like, on their side? Like, you're talking, like, a political candidate? No, no, just, like, or, friends or people you know. They're, like, they're always so... Maybe they're like, hoping they'll say, well, you'll say, well, who should I vote for? Uh, but they're always, like, make sure you go and vote. Like, it's almost like exercising your democratic right. But at the same time, I'm like, well, what if I'm voting for somebody you don't want? Like, you probably don't want me to vote. Like, but it's, it's I, your choice. It's I your know. Choice. Or do are they just wanting to be... Are they, again, just all about the greater good and just making sure that we're like, well, there are countries like Australia where voting is mandatory. Yeah. You don't have a choice. Yeah. And I think like, if you don't vote, like they're not going to clap you in jail or anything. I think it's like a fine. Yeah. But I'm not sure how often it gets applied, but I wouldn't be told, well, but, but I just feel like when people say that they're always kind of hoping that their, their assumption is that the more people vote, the better chance their party is going to win. I think what people mean is that there are lots of people around the world who don't have the privilege so they're being like, able you to should, vote. Yeah, I, that's what I, I, I think that's what they want to sound like. Yeah. But to me, I'm always going, well, what happens if I tell you I'm going to vote against you? They're, they're not like saying, make sure you vote, then giving you a nudge in the ribs and say, vote for these guys. Yeah, I don't know. But, You're right. you know, I, I, I genuinely believe that's what people mean because mm-hmm. it's, it's not insignificant that there are, you know, millions and millions of people around the world who, who don't have that opportunity yeah, if somebody at all. Com- or, or they get to, you know, vote in these sort of like, uh, bankrupt elections where there's one name on the ballot, right? Exactly. And that's why I said, like, if, like, a Syrian friend comes up and says, like, you have to vote, like, please exercise your right, I'll be like, yeah, like, you're, where you're coming from is a totally different one than my friend who's assuming that I'm on the same side. Totally, yeah. <laughs> and and maybe if you, if you if at the at the very highest level, if you, if you believe that, then mm-hmm. everybody should try and learn as much as they can before, right, over the next two weeks. I'm not going to say who I'm going to vote for, but I will say that I did pick Elizabeth May from a, a leader perspective only because there's four guys and I'm still really kind of keen on seeing like a woman in power. And though she's she's just kind of like a little spitfire to me who's just constantly, she's just pushing everything to do with climate change, which I do feel like probably like she has good heart. She has a good heart. And I feel like she might be the one who's, not the egomaniac. And she reminds me of the person who's in school who was like Lisa Simpson, who was like really like a studious person who's probably doing always the right thing and volunteering and doing certain, it feels like I know this person while I look at maybe the other candidates and go, yeah, they just kind of look like traditional white business guys outside of Jagmeet. So I don't know. That's probably the only kind of hand I'm going to show, but I'm not like necessarily going to vote green. Like I don't even like, I have to do a little bit. You, more you got two weeks. I got two weeks. So, Alex, did you have a good time? I did. Thanks yeah. for having me on. I will definitely uh, take what you said and uh, hopefully maybe put it to use. I do. Have... I hope. It, I hope it was useful. No, this is totally great. Oh, are we off now? No, we're not. I'm oh, gonna, we're still recording. I give you one. I always give the the yes a good record that I pick up. So this is. Are you familiar with Gary Wright? 
I, I have to confess that I'm not. Okay. But well, that is quite the cover. It is great. He's got eyeshadow on. But he sings a song, Dreamweaver. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know that song. Seen, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wayne's World. And when he first sees his. Also, is that like a Star Trek outfit he's wearing on the back? It's, so, uh, it's, it's something. It, it looks like a Star Trek uh, ripoff. But yeah. Anyways, this is Gary. <laughs> Gary Wright. Here we go. Not many famous guys named Gary anymore. So. It's a good name. Cool. Anyways, Alex, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you.